We're thankful to the Lord our God for the wonderful grace that he's bestowed upon us and allowing us to come again to his house to worship and adore him who alone is worthy of our praise. I certainly have enjoyed the sweet prayers and songs of the faith that reflect a deep and abiding love for our Savior. I'd like to title our study this morning, The First Palm Sunday. I recognize that this is a Palm Sunday, which uh, correlates to the Passover of the Jewish nation. Uh, next Sunday is Easter Sunday, which is celebrated as the Resurrection Day of Christ. And, and the first uh, Palm Sunday began what we refer to as the Passion Week of Jesus Christ, the time in God's providence when Jesus would actually, literally, physically enter into the city of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago as the king, as recognized as the promised king of Israel. We need to uh, open our Bibles to the 21st chapter of the book of Matthew. Now this event was so critical to the conception and the propagation of the gospel, that all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record this event. And this morning, we want to uh, draw some thoughts around this event itself, but also uh, to include our understanding of what the palms of victory are all about. We want to consider the prophecies that were fulfilled in this event. We want to uh, examine these palms of victory and then close with a reference to the promise of future victory. But in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, we read these words. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage, uh, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus to disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees. And these, according to John chapter 12, verse 13, these branches were the branches of the palm tree, palm branches. Remember, we're talking about the first Palm Sunday. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way and the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. 
Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. In these words, we find a very significant element to the redemptive work that God the Father was accomplishing through His Son, Jesus Christ. Some of you here will be acquainted with an event that happened on May the 12th in 1937. It was the coronation of King George and Queen Elizabeth. And... uh, a lot has been written of, about not only their reign, but especially Elizabeth, but also the uh, ceremony. Uh, you talk about pomp. It, it, it's described in vivid detail. I mean, books have been written about the detail, how they polished, actually polished every stone on the one-mile uh, road that leads to the Buckingham Palace. Every stone was hand polished. <laughs> new flowers, thousands of new flowers were planted in honor of this coronation. We read how there were 18,000 soldiers assigned to this particular parade. Uh, King George himself had seven uh, pages, they called them pages, that would carry his, uh, the the, uh, train of his robe so it wouldn't touch the ground because that would be defiling. We read about the hundreds that were in the choir that were singing praises to the Lord for the gift of this great king. We read about the crown of gold that weighed over a pound, one pound of gold that was fastened upon his head. And a golden scepter was placed in his hand, the top of which was a 500-carat diamond called the Star of Africa. We read about all of these trumpets that were blown as he rode in this carriage. And get a picture of this carriage. It's called the Golden Carriage. 24 feet long, uh, 12 feet high, pulled by uh, eight white stallions. It's amazing, isn't it, when we think about a coronation. And by the way, this is going to be repeated on May 6th of this very year in the coronation of King Charles. And many of these symbols are going to be incorporated in his uh, coronation. That's the coronation of the King of England. But what you just read is the coronation of the King of Zion. Far different. Just in the words of Jesus before Pilate in John chapter 19, he said, My kingdom is not of 
this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. But my kingdom is not from hence. The kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ is nothing uh, compared to the uh, kingdoms of men, the kingdoms of the world. But it's intriguing to me that Jesus Christ would come in such a humble manner. And he would come in a particular time, in a particular way, uh, in order to fulfill uh, his father's demands upon him. The entire life of Jesus had two main goals. The first of which was to do the Father's will. Remember what he said in John chapter 4 verse 34. He said, My meat is to do the will of my Father which has sent me and to finish His work. In John chapter 5 verse 30 he said, My meat, my work is to fulfill what God the Father has commanded. This was a leading tenant in the ministry and life of Jesus Christ in the earth. The second is connected to it. Because he came to fulfill all prophecy in the scripture concerning the Messiah. He came to fulfill what was revealed to men in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament... And to bring about their fruition. To bring about their fulfillment. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. Jesus said think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. But to fulfill them. Jesus Christ came to fulfill. To bring about the fulfillment of what God had prophesied. Concerning the Messiah himself. If you have your Bibles with you, turn quickly to the uh, to the book of Luke, chapter twenty. Uh, uh, no, Luke chapter uh, thirteen. I want you to see something here in the ministry of Jesus Christ as a background to our study on the first Palm Sunday. In Luke chapter thirteen, uh, Luke records these words uh, of Jesus um, in chapter thirteen, verse. 33, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet perishes out of Jerusalem. <laughs> he, said, he said, Jerusalem is a city where the prophets are killed and uh, the messengers are stoned. And he, he, he cries out in agony of his soul for the city of Jerusalem in verse 34. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How oft would I have gathered thee together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings and ye would not. While we're in Luke, turn over to Luke chapter 24 when Jesus after his resurrection is uh, speaking to the disciples who were so discouraged. Uh, they were on their way home to uh, Emmaus, Emmaus, and uh, Jesus is walking with them, but they don't recognize him. In verse 21, they say in, uh, in a lamentable uh, way, we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Oh, how discouraged they were. Here, the one that they thought was the king of Zion, the one that they thought 
uh, was the redeeming Lord, the one that they thought and believed that was the very Son of God, was crucified and slain. And then they says, you know, and it's, it, this is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made astonished were uh, which were uh, early at the sepulchre and when they found not his body they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive this discouragement this misunderstanding this um, uh, actually unbelief to a certain degree was coming out of these disciples and yet they were talking to the resurrected savior and didn't even know it didn't even recognize it. But watch what he says, friends. Watch what he says. In verse 25, Then said he to them, O foolish people, fools and slow of heart. Notice he didn't say heart of heart. They might have been heart of head like us, but they weren't slow of heart. Well, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Isn't this the plan and purpose of God for his son to enter back into the glory that he forfeited, that he left behind in order to come into the world to accomplish salvation for his people? Watch verse 27. And beginning at Moses, are you with me? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning who? Himself. See, all of the types and shadows, all of the Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, that's the foundation of what we want to speak about yeah, from Matthew chapter 21. Let's back, let's back up there and go, uh, go into this and try to unpack uh, this uh, coronation. We find that Jesus uh, has a special knowledge and omniscience. As they are walking along the way, he tells two of his disciples, which many say is Peter and John, he says to these two disciples, you're going to go to the city of Bethod, uh, this, this small village that, that's actually a suburb of, of Jerusalem that's halfway between Bethany and Jerusalem, as it were. And, and where two roads cross, you're going to find a, a, a donkey and then the foal of a donkey, and they're going to be tied to a post where these two roads cross. How did he know that? Who told him they were there? And who, who told him what time they would be there? The Bible is specific about this. They went and did as Jesus said, and they went and they found this donkey and the donkey's colt right where Jesus said they would be. And uh, when the owners of the donkeys said, why are you loosen, why are you trying to drive off my car? Why are you trying to take my property? You just tell them the Lord hath need of them, and that will suffice. And that's exactly what happened. But why was this critical? Why was this such an important part 
of the redemptive story of Christ that's recorded on all four gospel accounts. All four. I'll tell you why. Verse 4. All this was done that it might be fulfilled. That what might be fulfilled? The scriptures. We're going to look at some scriptures that relate to this very event this morning by God's grace and see how it uh, uh, confirms the significance of the Palm Sunday. Because it's the fulfillment of divine scripture. He's going to quote from the Old Testament book of Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. We're going to read that uh, particularly in just a moment. But behold thy king cometh unto thee. You see Jesus Christ is the humble king that is coming uh, in behalf of his humble people. And he's not going to require the blood of, of his uh, servants. He's not going to require the blood of his soldier army. He's going, to, uh, he's going to require his own blood in order to redeem them. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. The first thing I think about in connection to this is let's go back to Genesis chapter 49 uh, uh, G- uh, Genesis chapter uh, 49 uh, I-, I want you to see something we're going to we're going to look up these scriptures because remember Jesus is fulfilling these scriptures in Genesis chapter 49 we read about the blessing of Jacob upon the tribe of Judah now remember Judah was the fourth born Judah was the fourth uh, down the list uh, from the sons of uh, Jacob, but he says something about Judah that we need to notice. He says in verse 10 and 11, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until, until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. This is a prophecy concerning the coming Messiah, who's, who, who would be Shiloh. Now, Shiloh is, uh, uh, is a term, is a name that is a derivative of the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom is peace. Shiloh is uh, a Hebrew expression that means uh, to obtain or to get peace. Uh, Shiloh uh, is uh, the name of the Messiah, the one who brings or gets or obtains uh, peace. Now remember, the prophecy of uh, Jacob given in this verse is 640 years before David would ever come to the throne. Just think about this. 640 years Before David came along, who was the first king of Judah, God said that it would be through him that Shiloh would come. And notice verse 11. Binding his foal unto the vine and his ass's colt unto the choice vine. He washed his garments in in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. Notice the connection here between the donkey and the king. All the way back uh, to the book of Genesis uh, chapter 49. We could talk 
at length about the throne of David, going to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 7, but uh, that's not our subject or our study this morning. I want us to, uh, I want us rather uh, to go to the book of Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Now remember, we're talking about the first Palm Sunday and how it fulfilled scripture. Most of us are acquainted with Exodus chapter 12 because this is right before God is going to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt, right? And he's going to tell them uh, to take a lamb. And this lamb is going to represent uh, the delivering power or redeeming power of God. But I want you to notice a, a particular uh, requirement here in uh, Exodus chapter 12, beginning with verse 3. Speak ye unto the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, which is uh, Nisan, the month, uh, the tenth day, underline tenth there, and thou shalt take to, to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. Now notice the description of the lamb. Um, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, and ye shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the what? The fourteenth day. The fourteenth day of the same month. Now let me tell you what has happened in Matthew 21. When Jesus Christ came into the gates of Jerusalem, he came on that Sunday, and it would be four days before he would be taken by Caiaphas and delivered to Pilate to be crucified. So Jesus is going to satisfy this requirement. He is going to be observed publicly for four days, just as we find in Exodus chapter 12. Because after all, Jesus is the Passover lamb, right? Are you with me? Jesus is the Lamb. John said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Passover Lamb. Jesus is our redeeming Lamb. But I wanted you to see in Exodus chapter 12 this scripture that required the Lamb to be observed publicly for four days before he would be slain. All right, go with me to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. Remember, we're talking about the fulfillment of these prophecies in Isaiah chapter 62, listen to this language. Isaiah chapter 62, verses 10 and 11. Isaiah, 700 years before Christ came, said, Go through, go through the gates. Prepare ye the way of the people. Cast up, cast up the highway. Gather out the stones. Lift up the standard for the people. Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world. Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him and his work uh, before him. You see, I, I believe that's talking about Jesus Christ. It's pointing us to the Messiah that's bringing salvation 
through him his own sacrifice upon the tree of the cross. Turn quickly with me to Daniel chapter 9. These are, the, these are the scriptures that Jesus Christ fulfilled exactly and fulfill, uh, fu- fully uh, in Daniel chapter 9. Listen to this prophecy very carefully, the 70 weeks of Daniel. And notice uh, with me here uh, in uh, verse 24, 70 weeks are determined un- unto uh, upon my thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make the end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness. I submit to you that this is talking about the Messiah coming, bringing in everlasting righteousness and sealing up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment, Uh, to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Stop right there. The commandment was given by Artaxerxes, the Persian king, to free the captives of Babylon, send back a remnant of the, the children of Judah back to the city of Jerusalem under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah, which rebuilt the temple, right? They rebuilt the walls of the city. They rebuilt Jerusalem and uh, brought it back under the ceremonial law of Moses that they had neglected for so many years. After that 70-year captivity, you see this remnant coming back under the, uh, under the uh, commandment of Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. All right, he says this. He says, uh, to build Jerusalem, uh, unto the Messiah, the prince... I submit to you that that's Jesus Christ. He says there's going to be a period of time between the uh, command of Artaxerxes to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and the city unto the coming of the Messiah. And, and uh, this is going to be a period of uh, 62 weeks or uh, uh, 434 years. I'm going to tie this together in just a minute. He says uh, in verse 25, he says, uh, Between that commandment to return to the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be rebuilt again and the wall even in uh, troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. I want you to underline that in your Bible. Because remember what Matthew 21 is dealing with is the fulfillment of Scripture. I want you to understand what exactly is happening here uh, through the prophetic ministry of Daniel. He is seeing the time that the Messiah is going to come and be crucified. And God is revealing to him the exact year in which that would take place. It would take place at the exact point in time that God had ordained. So the, the Messiah is going to be cut off, but not for himself, And the people of the prince, which I believe is talking about Rome, that shall come to destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with the flood unto the end of the war desolations are determined. I believe what Jesus Christ was weeping over in the text we read in Luke 
when he wept over Jerusalem and said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that stonest the prophets and killest, uh, killest those that are sent unto thee, how oft would I have gathered thee as a chicken, uh, as a hen gathers her uh, brood under her wings, and ye would not? Therefore your house is left unto you desolate, and there shall not in this place be one stone left upon another. That literally happened in 70 A.D. It literally happened. It was, it was not a figurative uh, thing. It literally came to pass. The Messiah literally came 434 years later after the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And he literally died for the sins of his people. Isn't that something? Isn't that amazing? All right. Go with me to two more verses. In Zechariah 9, let's look at it. Because something is left out. There's something left out in, in our reading of Matthew 21. When he's quoting Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, there's something left out. Listen to this. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, this is what he's quoting in part. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, Thy king cometh unto thee. Now, that's exactly what he was stating in our study of Matthew 21. He is just, and watch this, in having salvation. You see it? Lowly and riding upon an ass, upon the colt, the foal of an ass. Now, he's prophetically looking toward the coming of the Messiah, no doubt. But he's defining something here. He's, he's defining the work that the Messiah is going to accomplish. Salvation. Because he says, thy king cometh unto thee, he is just, and having salvation. Lowly, or humble, riding upon an ass, upon a colt, the foal of an ass. He's not going to be riding in a 24-foot by 12-foot golden chariot. He's not going to have a golden scepter with a 500-carat diamond on the top of it. He's not going to be uh, receiving the accolades of the populace or the world powers. He, he's not going to be um, heralded with trumpeteers, bands, and these awesome choirs. He, he's going to come on a donkey riding into a city under divine judgment. This is quite a contrast, don't you think? This is quite a contrast. And one more Old Testament uh, verse that I believe Jesus fulfilled literally and fully in Malachi chapter 3, the last uh, prophet of the Old Testament. Listen to this carefully. He says in uh, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. Are you with me? Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. This is the closing prophecy of the Old Covenant, the closing prophecy of the Old Testament, and Jesus Christ fulfilled this very thing. He would come to his temple. Uh, remember, he came twice. 
He came twice to the temple. In John chapter 2, he came and purged the temple. You remember that's when he uh, made the, the, the scourge of cords and overturned the money changers' tables. That's recorded in John chapter 2. That was at the beginning of his ministry. But now at the close of his earthly ministry, he is again going to go to his father's house. He's again going to go to the temple. He's again going to challenge uh, the motives and the religiosity of uh, the elite in the Jewish culture. And he's going to uh, close the door, as it were, on temple worship. That's one reason. See, brothers and sisters, that's why I have a problem with some of these people that say uh, that the Jews are going to rebuild a temple and, and again offer sacrifices. I believe that they will build a temple again in, before the Lord returns, but I don't believe that those sacrifices are going to have one bit of uh, recognition from God because the great sacrifice has already been offered. You follow me? I had a Jewish friend in Jerusalem uh, we wrote for several years, and I was doing a study in the book of Hebrews at that period of time, and, and I, was, I was asking him, how can you be a Messianic Jew, a Christian Jew, and believe that the sacrifices are still necessary? And he wrote me back a letter, and he, and he said, but Brother Jeff, uh, sacrifices or the sacrificial system uh, is a Jewish rite. It, it's, you, he, he says, the thing I have against you is you won't allow me to be a Jew. I'll allow you to be a Christian, but you won't allow me to be a Jew. I wrote him back and I says, oh, I'm not trying to offend you in any way. I'm just saying that that sacrifice is null and void. Because Jesus Christ is our Passover. Amen. Jesus Christ is the sacrifice of all sacrifices, you see. And, and we begin to describe that. And he stopped. He says, I will not write you again anymore. Never heard from him again. But brothers and sisters, I believe that Jesus Christ is the final sacrifice. Now, now let's go back to our look into the language of Matthew 21. Now you understand where I'm coming from when he says... In verse 4 of Matthew 21, all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. He's not just talking about the prophet Zechariah. He's also talking about the whole canopy of the Old Testament scriptures. In other words, we don't, we don't have to look for anything or anyone else to fulfill everything that is required for our salvation. Amen? That's what I'm getting at. But here he comes. He's riding upon this donkey. And Mark even tells us uh, upon which no man had ever ridden. I don't know if you, uh, if there's any country boys in here, but if, I don't know if you've had, had the experience of ever trying to get on a donkey that's never been rode. How about get on a pony that's never been rode? You've got a ride a coming. But look here, Jesus rode upon the foal of a colt that had never been ridden before. Without a rein, without spurs, without a saddle, 
a saddle horn to hang on to. Uh, he, he didn't have to do that because he has dominion over all things. And it must be fulfilled. Now watch this. Verse 6. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, which is exactly what we need to do. We need to be obedient to the commands of Christ. And he brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments. This is a beautiful verse to me. A very great multitude spread their garments in the way. You know, it's recorded in history. Josephus, a Jewish historian, said that it was not unusual at the time of the Passover for there to be 250,000 lambs slain. 250,000 lambs slain. And Josephus taught us something that God said that for every ten, man, ten men in Jerusalem, you could kill one lamb. One lamb for every ten men. Well, if that's the case, and you have 250,000 lambs slain, that means that Jerusalem streets were filled with about two and a half million Jews at this time. So it's not unusual for us to consider what Matthew is saying here a very great multitude is there. And look what that multitude is doing. I personally in my studies of this I believe that part of the this multitude has uh, come up from Jericho after witnessing the healing of blind Bartimaeus. They were walking with them, remember. And, uh, and then, remember, right before this happened, when Jesus was at Bethany, Lazarus had died, and Jesus raised him from the dead. You remember that in John chapter 11. So there are multitudes coming from Jericho, multitudes coming from Bethany, who um, knew or believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Because how... How could he do these miracles and not be the Messiah, you see? So these multitudes were throwing down their garments in recognition of his authority, in recognition of him as the king. They're, they're, they're spreading their garments, as it were, in front of him in the way. And others cut down these palm branches from the street, uh, trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and those that followed cried, Hosanna. Now, Hosanna is a Hebrew word that means literally to save now. Uh, it's used in Psalm chapter 118, isn't it? In verse 25, Hosanna, save now. They were recognizing that the Messiah had come and now he is going to bring about the salvation that was missing from their lives. Hosanna, thou son of David. That's a messianic appellation, a messianic title. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. But you see, Jesus did not come to conquer Rome. He came to conquer hell. He came to conquer the grave. He came not to make bad men good, but to make dead men live. He came 
not to make war with Rome, but to make peace with God. He came in a, a different way than they were expecting. Because they thought that the Messiah was going to come and deliver them from Roman tyranny. And that's all they were looking at. They were not looking at the eternal nature of the redeeming work of Christ on the cross. They didn't understand it. They did not embrace that. And so they're seeing him as their last great hope. And they're crying out, Hosanna, thou son of David. You know, this same crowd in just five days, actually, are going to be calling crucify him. Crucify him. See how fickle man is? The same crowd is going to be choosing him, uh, choosing Barabbas over the one that they claim to be the Messiah. Fickle, fickle, fickle. Who is this? Who is this? The city was saying, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. In Christ's triumphal entry into both the city and the temple at Jerusalem, we see he is publicly manifesting who he is. He is the Messiah. And as the Messiah, he would voluntarily go to the, the, the terrors of the cross on our behalf. But what part do the palms play in this scenario? What part do they play? Why, why is that even significant? that uh, Matthew, Mark, and John would include this part in the story. They would take the, the palm leaves. Now you understand this, the date palm. And at this period of time, they were very common all over, uh, all over Judea, all over Palestine. In fact, so, uh, some are still there, but it was, it was more like a, a tropic at that period of time. And uh, the Romans really liked the palm trees because they made a lot of crosses out of them. They took all the trees to crucify the Jews. Uh, and the palm trees that you see today have been replanted because it was a barren land. But does it have any significance in the story of redemption? That's my question. That's the question I want to ask you and let the Bible answer for us this morning. Go back again to the Old Testament book of Leviticus. By the way, that's not Levititus. It's Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 23. Listen to what God said about the observance of what is called the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember when Israel was traveling during the wilderness on their way to Canaan, God commanded them to make booths or tabernacles to sleep under. And he says, I don't want you to ever forget that. I don't want you to ever forget that I was watching over you all those years through the wilderness. And all those years, you were sleeping in booths made with tree limbs and tree leaves. I protected you. I don't want you to ever forget that. So I'm going to make a feast in line with that. And he says this in, uh, in Leviticus um, chapter uh, 23, verse 39. 
And also in the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when ye have gathered in the fruit of the land, ye shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. And ye shall take you on the first day the bowls of goodly trees. Here it is, branches of palm trees. The branches of the palm trees. That's what they used to make the roof over their tabernacle, uh, to, to make the roof of their little tent, their temporary dwelling. But what was God wanting to remind them of? And what do you need reminded of this morning? You know, if everything worked as good as our forgetter, we'd be in good shape. <laughs> We're really good at forgetting. So God ordained feasts so that the people would have to remember his goodness to them as a nation and people. He says, all of those years in the wilderness, I want you to remember the, those years that I provided for you and those years that you uh, rested under the palm leaves. Between the bondage of Egypt and the blessing of Canaan, I want you to remember those years. To me, that's a very significant element of the uh, use of palm leaves. Now, go with me to Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. We've referred to Nehemiah, now we need to go there. Nehemiah chapter 8. What, what happened to the children of Israel? They, they forgot. They, they forgot to observe the Feast of Tabernacles. They, they forgot the feasts. They forgot their responsibility to God. They forgot to observe the Sabbaths like they should. And God sent Babylon down, and 70 years they were in Babylonian captivity. But now the remnant has returned. And now God is opening again his word to his people through Ezra's ministry and Nehemiah. And Ezra is teaching them again the principles of the law of God. And uh, listen to what he says in uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 15. And, uh, and, 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 and that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mount and fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and, here we go, palm branches. And branches of thick trees to make the booths as it is written. You see what they were doing were being reminded of how good the Lord had been to them in the deliverance out of Egyptian bondage. Can I submit something to you this morning? I, I, think, I believe what Matthew is capturing here is God calling his people to remember not only the deliverance we have from Egypt but our deliverance from hell itself. Our deliverance from eternal damnation, eternal judgment. I want you to remember this. And I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you palms of victory. That's the course of the ministry of Christ. Now, I want to go to one more reference, and I'll close this morning's study in Revelation chapter 7. Because we want to focus on this future promise. We looked at the prophecies that were fulfilled 
we we looked at how God had uh, had instituted the palms of victory all the way through the Old Testament scripture but now let us consider a future event in Revelation chapter 7 and I want to notice verse 9 he said after this I beheld and lo a great multitude which no man could number of all nations not just Israel not just Judah but all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, palms of victory, you see, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Hosanna, right? Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. You see, brothers and sisters, this morning, there, there's a future beauty that's connected to these palms of victory. I believe that they, they reflect the care and the redeeming love that the Father has for His people, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save, and that one day is going to return He's going to return after his redeemed family and take them into a habitation that is free from sin and free from sorrow and free from suffering. You see, this world in which we are now living is a broken existence. Every day the news tells us of the depravity of man. And if man was not restrained by the hand of an almighty God, there wouldn't be anything left of any civilization, including the United States of America. But brothers and sisters, our blessed hope this, uh, this morning is, is not in the Republican Party. It's not in a political um, uh, profession. It's not in governments of men. It, it, it's, it's not in the regal reign of earthly kings, but rather... It is in the power of an almighty God who spoke this world into existence and sent his son into the world to die for our sins. And that son, Jesus Christ, ascended from the grave and sat down at the right hand of the father on high. And one day the father is going to say to the son, the time has come. Go and collect the bride. Go and collect the redeemed. And I can imagine, using the beauty of this imagery, that the redeemed are going to be waving palms of victory. It's not just an, a temporary victory. It's, it's an eternal victory. That's what we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ. May God bless these thoughts to your hearts this morning.